Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. We live in a culture that is fixated on talent. Almost any night you want, you turn on the TV and you will see there's a show that's there designed so people can show off their special talents. We have shows like Little Big Shots, American Idol, The Voice. But my favorite show is this show called America's Got Talent. That's the show where people show off some random, unique talent. And I want you to show, a, I want to show you a couple of ki- uh, clips of some crazy talents that some people possess. Watch. Got one question. Does anyone here have some crazy random talent? I kind of like that. Raise your hand if you do. You have any crazy random talent. I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to call you up. <laughs> Just shout out your crazy random talent. Somebody has one. Move your ears. I love that, man. So, man, here's the reality. Whether you realize it or not, we have all been given abilities and talents by God. And this morning, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told about using the abilities and talents that God has given you. It's called the parable of the talents. And we're going to start a brand new series called Parables. A parable is a, simply, is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual truth. And Jesus used parables often to communicate truth to his disciples. And the parable we're looking at this morning is a parable all about opportunities and Regret. It's called the parable of the talents. And according to Gallup poll, the biggest regrets that people have to do have to do with action and inaction. Action in the short term and inaction in the long term. For example, some people regret having that extra piece of pizza last night. Or that extra taco or that extra uh, serving at the buffet. Or you regret not working out all week long and just going home because it was rainy and tired and kind of discouraging. Some people regret binging on Netflix all day yesterday when it was actually a nice day and you could have done some yard work. Those are some of the action. Those are some of the things that people regret. We regret action in the short term, but in the long term, the biggest regret, according to Gallup poll, is inaction, not pursuing the romantic relationship. If you didn't pursue that romantic relationship and you're sitting next to your wife, please don't tell her that was you. Or not chasing a dream or not making the most of that great opportunity in front of you. And the parable of the talent is is a story that is all about opportunity, regret, and leveraging everything that God has given you. So I want us to pray before we get in this message this morning. Just say say, say this. Say, Say, Jesus, show me everything you've given me. May I be aware of it this morning and may I see the opportunity in front of me and help me to seize that opportunity. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30, where we can find this parable. This parable begins in verse 13 with the word again, because it is in the middle of a series of parables that Jesus is teaching. In Matthew chapter 24, in the backdrop before Jesus tells this parable, Jesus is answering this question, What was going to happen when he's going to come back? 
Because there's a moment that he's going to leave this earth and he's going to come back. And Jesus gives a series of events and he tells all these stories. You want to read about it in Matthew chapter 24. He says, these are the signs that will happen that will make you aware that I'm coming back. And before he gets into this parable, he tells another parable to kind of lead into this parable. And he tells the parable of ten virgins waiting on the bridegroom. Five were foolish and didn't have oil in their lamps. And five were ready when the bridegroom comes. So then Jesus, in the backdrop of that, he goes right into this parable because he's illustrating the moment that we got this opportunity that's ahead of us because one day Jesus is going to come back. And how are we going to live in the middle of that gap? In verse 14, again, it, and it is the kingdom of God here, if you read in its context, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. It was very common for wealthy men to take long journeys. But before they would leave, they would arrange their most trustworthy people to take care of their affairs where they would gone. They would feed the animals. They would govern everything that they have. But even more than that, they would often delegate the control of their wealth to their most trustworthy employees. Only the inner circle got invited into this. And this is very important in understanding the parable. And he would expect the people that he trusted to do with his wealth, what he would do. He is giving them full control to manage his wealth. And look at verse 15. And to one he gave five talents of money. Well, the NIV translates it like this. Bags of gold. Bags of gold uh, is probably a, a, a kind of a, a translation that we understand more in here in our culture. But a talent is a measurement of money. It was literally a bag of gold. And a bag of gold, about se- a talent weighed about 75 pounds. That's a lot of bling bling. You can do a lot with that much gold. A talent of gold, according to commentators I was reading, is worth about 20 years of income for the average day labor. So to get a talent of gold was like getting a 20-year payoff if you were a day laborer. Say a day laborer makes about $20,000 a year in our culture. That's a little bit uh, below average, but say they do. In our culture today, one talent of gold is like $400,000. So he's giving them a talent of gold to take care of. So he gave the first one five talents of money to another two talents and to another one talent. And this is very important to understanding this passage. Each according to his ability. We all have different ability. And God has given us everything. He gives every one of us a different gift. And I know this isn't very popular in our politically correct culture where at the end of the game, everybody wins the game and everybody gets a trophy. But God doesn't operate like this. There are some people that have been given more ability and more talents than others. That's not a good or a bad thing because it doesn't matter what you've been given. You will be judged according to what God has given you. But there are some people that God says they can handle more than others. So he gives them and he trusts them more. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five talents or two million dollars went at once and put his money to work and he gained five more. So also the one with five talents, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. In verse 19, notice this. After a long time. You know what a long time means in the Greek? A long, long time. A long time. It looks like he wasn't going to come back. They wondered, does he even care? They wondered if I'm just, if he's even going to even check up on me. Out of sight, out of mind, no big deal. But after a long, 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 long time. He comes back. The master of those servants returned. 
Remember what I'm telling you about the backdrop of this culture? This, ma- this message about Jesus Christ, he's going to come back. He's going to judge the earth. He comes back, and when he comes back, this is what he's going to do. This is very important. And he settled accounts with them. Settled accounts means he didn't expect them to bring gold back, bring the gold back and say, oh, look, we guarded your gold, we kept it safe. Settled accounts means he wanted to see what they did with his gold. And here's the first thing I want you to learn this morning, very important principle. What I have is not mine. Verse 14 says that the rich man was getting ready for the journey. He called his servants and entrusted. And I would argue that this is the most important uh, word in this passage. It says, what does it say? His. He entrusted his property, the master's property, to them. It's not the servant's property. It's the master's property. He entrusted it to them. And in this parable, God is the master and we are his servants. And as Christians, we have to remember that everything we have has been given to us by God. And it's not really ours. It's his. What we think we own is really on loan from God. Our abilities... Our talents, our resources, our house, our money is an advance from God. And when you understand this, it and this becomes real to you, and if this parable becomes real to you, it allows you to look at everything that you have in a different light. See, that IQ that you have is a gift from God. Some of you guys are naturally good test takers. Some of you guys are smart, but you just have it. It's natural. You didn't earn it. It was a gift. The great job you have, it's a gift. God gave you the drive, the capacity, the network of friends to be successful. The good looks. For those of you that are gifted with good looks like me, it's God-given. God-given. I did nothing for this. Say a couple tacos, and that's another thing I need to take care of. You didn't choose your color of hair, your eyes. You didn't choose those biceps, Javi, but you made them happen, though, in hard work right there. You didn't choose your physical features. You didn't go down there where you're going to be born. I want this color of hair. I want this color of eyes. I want to be this tall. It's God-given. The athleticism, the metabolism. Some people can eat whatever they want and not gain a pound. Dave Maniachi, right? Others of us, we can look at a salad and we gain five pounds. It's a gift. We have no control over that. Some people, they're gifted with charisma. They walk into the room. They walk in there. Everybody feels happy. They're excited. The moment they walk in the room, it's like, boom! And then they leave. Energy leaves. You didn't earn that. It's charisma. God gave you that. Some people are just natural born hustlers. They're good at business. They started making money back in the second grade. They started selling marbles and candy and all kinds of different things. They're like, man, God's just giving them a gift of business. Some people are good like that. There is no such thing as a self-made man. God has put gifts inside of every one of us. Some of us have gifts. Some of us don't have gifts. Like I remember growing up, I wanted to be in the choir so bad. Because at 2 o'clock, the choir members would leave, and we had to stay doing science. Plus, there's cute girls in the choir. Science, cute girls, and singing. No, let me join the choir. And I remember Mr. Archuleta would come in every year, and he'd go before the piano, and he'd kind of play. La, 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 and you got to hit the tone. And every year I tried so hard to make choir, and I'd stand there, and he'd, he'd hit, hit it. La, 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 but he didn't finish it. We're done. I'm like, no, I've been working for this. Man, 
I just don't have the gift of singing. The only thing I've ever sang good is a good tenor, a good tenor 15 miles away. Like, for real. Like, Jennifer doesn't want to sit by me on Sunday morning service. You know why? Because she says, Benito, every time I sit by me, you, man, you throw me off key. I can't sing. I can't worship. All I hear is your voice. I've worked with worship pastors. I said, Benito, don't sing so loud. You're ruining the worship experience. (laughs) I wish I had the gift of singing, but I don't. I got the gift of a loud mouth. And what Jennifer tells me all the time is, use your inside voice. Don't be so loud. Like, we'll be having a conversation and say, everybody can hear you, Benito. And the great irony in my life is this, that the very thing that God gave me as a gift that I got in trouble with as a kid, that I missed recess every day in third grade because I was so loud, is the gift that God uses today, my loud mouth, to share the love of Jesus with others. I don't care if my third grade teacher, Mr. Romero, said it wasn't a gift. It was a gift! And now God uses that gift every Sunday to share the love of Jesus with others. With the gifts God has given us, we have been given a golden opportunity, a bag of gold. The master gave his first servant five talents or five bags of gold, which is $2 million. The second guy received two talents, approximately $800,000. The third guy got one talent. They all have been entrusted with a huge gift and an incredible opportunity to do something significant. And some people take advantage of the opportunities presented to them more than others. And look what happens in verse 16. This is what Jesus says. The man who received five talents went at once. Right away, he did not wait. There's an urgency. There's an acting. There's faith. He went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five more. Verse 17 says, so also the one with two talents, he gained five more. But the man who received one talent went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. See, God gives us gifts and opportunities with the expectation that we will use them for his glory and for his work. God has given us a gift and he's given us a golden opportunity. And this is what we need to do. We must invest what we have been given. We all have the responsibility to develop the gift that God has deposited inside of us. See, the gift on your life should come with a warning label that says, Some assembly required. It looks pretty when it's all put together, but like the Ikea furniture, it's a bunch of random pieces until you do the work of assembling the gift on your life. This week I read a story of him guy by the name of Antonio who loved music. And because of Antonio's voice, it wasn't low and powerful like mine. It was high and squeaky. He did not make his school choir either. So he decided to play the violin. His mom and dad got him violin lessons, and he played so fervently and loudly that the neighbors persuaded his parents to make him stop and get another hobby. Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. His friends gave him a hard time because the one talent he had was whittling. But when Antonio was older, he served as an apprentice to a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving and his hobby became his craft. He worked patiently and faithfully. By the time he died, he, had, he left over 1,500 violins, each one bearing the label that said Antonio Stradivari. 
They are the most sought-after violins in the world. One sold for $15 million. Antonio couldn't sing, he couldn't play, yet his violins are still making beautiful music today. Why? Because he invested and developed in his gift. Let me tell you something. So many times it's easy to see people's gift, but we don't see the grind that it took to develop that gift. See, if you're going to develop your gift, you got to learn to grind. A lot of people, we look at people that are successful. We look at people that are doing well. Like, like people look like, bringing back Dave Maniachi, man, he's doing well in his company. He has his own company. He's doing all these different things. But if you hear his story, there was a time where he could not even afford a McDonald's hamburger. We see the gift, but we don't see the grind that it took for somebody to get there. To develop your gift, you got to learn to grind. See, the worship team sounds amazing every week. But you don't see how early they get out here. The sun hasn't even come up when they get here. And they get here early and they practice throughout the week. You don't know how much vocal lessons they put in to getting their voices, how much hours Joel has put on the keys, how many hours Alicia has sat down there and, and Jonathan and Norca have practiced and practiced in the band. They sound awesome through a worship experience, but you don't see the countless hours that it took to make it happen. We see productions like The Greatest Showman, and we leave inspired, and we're like, whoa, that is awesome. But you don't know the early mornings and the late nights that Keith and his team constructed and built and planned hundreds and hundreds of hours practicing and preparing to make it happen. It's easy to be blinded by the gift, but we need to realize there's a grind behind the gift. People say to me on Sunday mornings after services, Benito, you just know so much about the Bible. You just seem so natural up there. You're so funny. Speaking comes easy to you. What they don't see is that every Saturday I get PMS, which is pre-message stress. <laughs> what I need to do is I need to pray and get ready. They don't see the 20 hours I spend grinding every week, getting ready to prepare every message. They don't know the decades that I have spent studying the Bible. Everybody sees the gift, but nobody sees the grind. And I want to let you know, the greater the gift on your life, the greater the grind to develop it. Our talent is God's gift to us, and what we do with our talent is our gift to Him. Zig Ziglar says that you're the only person on earth that can use your gift. And what Jesus says is this in, in verse 19. After a long time, the master of, to those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The fourth thing I want you to understand is we will give an account of how we used what we have been given. So the master's back in town and it's time to give a report. And the first guy, I'm going to modernize it, save it happened in our time. The first guy comes in with... $2 million plus, he pulls out his spreadsheets and his charts and he gives an account and says, so I invested in this thing called Amazon and Netflix. And as you can see from the chart, your money has, what, doubled. Here's your 10 talents. Here's your $4 million. And look what the master tells him, verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. This is important. With a few things, he gave him $2 million. It's a few things. Man, how many, I don't know about you, but two million isn't a few to me. But to God it is. To God, no matter how much we have, it's a few to him. He says, you've been faithful with a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. 
Come and share in the master's happiness. And we have this idea of heaven as equality, that we all get to heaven and we all share. There is God and all of us are equals. Notice that's not what Jesus teaches anywhere in the Gospels. It's not what he teaches here in the parables. He is implying here that we will all be given opportunities of service in the life to come according to how we took advantage of our opportunities here on earth. And this man is put in charge of many things. He's governing. There's hierarchy. There's authority in heaven. And what we do in heaven is determined by what we do with the opportunity opportunity and the gift that we have been given right now and verse 22 tells the story of the second guy he comes in he says i invested in google and apple computers and we saw huge returns and i got really happy about that but i invested in blockbuster video and sears and that didn't go as well But overall, you can see that iPhone thing, it did pretty good, man. They, they took off, you did like a, uh, there's now iPads and iTunes, and it did pretty amazing. And I took your two talents, and I made four. Here's the $1.6 million. And Jesus, I want you to notice, Jesus tells him the same thing he told the first servant. Well done, good and faithful servant, verse 23. You have been faithful with a few things. What do you say? I will put you in charge of many things. It doesn't tell him how much doesn't say it's going to be, but like, here's what I want you to know. That if we're faithful with whatever God has given us, he will give us many things. I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't give specific amounts to what those many things. He just says there will be a lot of things that you'll be in charge of. More than you can imagine if you are faithful with the few things you have here. So regardless of what your talent is, that doesn't matter. Are you faithful with it? There's a, that's a big point of this text. And then, here comes the third guy. I want you to pick full of dirt. He's full of mud, mud in his nails. He's all muddy. And at this point, I picture the music changing in the parable. And in verse 24, you hear some first century whining, blame shifting, excuse making. Here it goes. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent came. He said, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. You're tough to work with. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. You're a winner-take-all guy. You don't leave any crumbs on the table. So I was afraid. Let me tell you, it's because of you. I was afraid. Why, why are you afraid? It's because it's your fault. This is not really my fault. It's your fault. You're a mean guy. The reason I'm here, notice, this man doesn't really know his master. His master was a generous man. He gave him this amazing opportunity with these amazing resources. I was afraid. So what did he do? I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The man, in essence, is saying this. The reason there's no more money than you gave me, it's because your fault. You're a hard man. He's shifting the blame. He's blaming the master. He says, man, it's not any. How many of you guys know the major reason that we're not going to accomplish anything in our lives for God is because we begin to blame other people? We say, oh, it's not my fault. We don't take responsibility. And his master replied, look through that, you wicked, lazy servant. He looked through his excuses. You took the easy way out. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. The master says, if you really knew it was hard to deal with, you don't come up with a better plan, bro, than digging it. Verse 27, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. But oh no, you're too lazy to do even that. Now you want to blame me? 
Now you want to blame me, bro? Hey, I ain't buying that. And look at verse 28. He says this, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And here's the final thing that we learn. When we use what we've been given, we will be given more. And if you read the parable of the talents, the two faithful servants received affirmation. Good job, he tells him. Well done. I appreciate your hard work and your faithfulness. Not only did they get affirmation, they got promotion. Since you've done so well, I'm going to give you more. More responsibility, more opportunity. And not only that, he gives them celebration. You have made me very happy. Let's celebrate together. And I could picture a smile on Jesus' face when he says, Come! You've done so good. Come share in your master's happiness. Everything that I have, come share in it. Wow. But to the lazy servant, he says this, verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. I really wish this verse didn't exist. This is hard to deal with. Like, like what does this verse really mean? I studied this verse all week long. I, I try to comprehend what Jesus is saying here. I read several commentators and commentator after commentator. I looked at it. Some commentators say he's referring to hell. To be honest with you, I'm not totally sure what Jesus is totally saying in this verse. I'm not totally sure. All I know is that the term weeping and gnashing of teeth is a common term in the first century that means regret and frustration. It's like you cowboy fans know this. It's like when we're watching the Cowboys last week and they're lining up to kick and they miss again. What happens? You're gritting your teeth again. Another 8-8 eight and eight season. Texas Longhorn fans know the same feeling. Choked again. It's like when you make something boneheaded, a boneheaded decision at work. You're like, you gnash your teeth. You don't weep, but you gnash your teeth. And, and here's the point of the parable. Here's a guy. He's been given given $400,000. He's been given an incredible opportunity. His boss trusts him to be part of the inner circle, to rule his affairs, to do everything God's called him to do, to take care of everything. And he's thrown out of the inner circle. And he's like, I messed up. I had an opportunity. I got a chance to rule with my master. He gave me so much. And now I've been thrown out and there's frustration. And he's like, say with me. And then the parable ends. And Jesus drops the mic. And the point of the parable is this. We are to look at all that God has given us and decide, how can I leverage this? We are to refuse to either take it for granted because some of us that have been given so much, so much, we've been given so much, such a good job, so many resources. Man, there are people that don't even have, have houses. Some of us have multiple houses. Some of us have so much. We have so much. It's like, oh, we just take it for granted. Some of us, some people don't even have cars. We have two, three, four cars. We have so much food. We have so much. And it's so easy just to take it for granted. Or you can excuse yourself that I don't have as much as somebody else. And Jesus says, No. I don't want you to do either one. I want you to look at what I have given you and use it for me. See, everyone in this room has been given a bag of gold. And I would argue that every one of us are rich 
rich beyond our measure. Especially if you compare our lives to other Christians around the world, the fact that you were born in the United States of America is really a huge bag of gold for all that in itself. Every time you hear the message of God, the gospel, every time you come to church, it's a bag of gold. Youth, every time you go to youth camp, somebody paid for you to go to youth camp, it's an opportunity that God has given you. It's a bag of gold that we can't take advantage. Every time somebody invites you to life group, every time you hear a worship service, there's so many things. Every time you go on a mission trip, God makes you aware of more responsibility. He puts more in your hand, and the bag of gold begins to grow. And what my question to you this morning is this, what are you doing with your bag of gold? Is it buried somewhere? So many times we say, I want more. I want more. God, give me more gold. And we need to ask, what am I doing with what he has already given me? Like people say this, Pastor B, if I won the lottery, I'll tell you what I would do. I would, man, I would tithe and I'd keep the 990 million for myself, but I'd give 10% to God. I'd do something like, and I, I want to look at them and say, what are you doing with $100 God's given you? Don't talk about the lottery. What are you doing? What's in your hand? God won't give you more if you aren't using what you already have. And what we can learn is really learn and really take some hard lessons from the attitude of the worthless servant. So many people fall into the trap. So many times in my life, I've seen the attitudes of the worthless servant come in mind. What? what Excuse making, blame shifting, comparison. You want to be worthless in the kingdom? Let those three things begin to dominate your life. And so many people, they allow excuses of what God did to them or what God did for somebody else to stop them from using everything that God has given them. God, I was abused. God, I came from a divorce. God, I've experienced this. God, I came from this type of background. God, I have all these, all these, God, 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 all these excuses. Or we compare ourselves to others and we say, God, I don't have the money that they have. I'm not as smart as they are. I'm not as talented as them. I can't sing like them. I haven't been given the same opportunities. I don't have the same education. And here's the big idea of the parable. You can either make excuses or you can make an investment with your life, but you cannot make both. You can make excuses for your life, or you can make an investment with your life, but you cannot make both of those. Benjamin Franklin wrote this. He said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. See, people that make a difference in the world and for the kingdom, they don't make excuses. They don't blame others. They don't compare themselves to others. They simply use what God has given them. And this is a lesson that I've had to learn over and over in my life. Because I think you're like me. It's human nature. Making excuses comes natural to many of us. And I remember early on as a youth pastor, my early 20s, I was at a youth conference with several youth pastors, and it was being held at one of the most amazing youth facilities I'd ever seen. It was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They had basketball courts, pool tables, video games, computer stations. The meeting room was like two giant movie theaters with giant screens. They were reaching thousands of teenagers a week. And I was like, Lord, of course they're going to make a difference. Of course I can't reach anybody. Look what I have. 
That time we were meeting in a very traditional church. There was stained glass where we were meeting. It was not youth friendly at all. The walls were white. It was not exactly a youth magnet church at that time. And I found myself sitting in that conference making excuses why I couldn't reach the next generation. Why I couldn't. Lord, but this, but comparing myself. And I was there. I felt the Lord as clearly as he ever spoke. Quit making excuses why you can't make a difference for me. As I felt God this drop this thought in my head, like if he couldn't repeat it more clearly, literally. Sony was there that day. Jennifer was there. The speaker came up and he said this. I still have a quote. It says, quote, don't make excuses why others are effective for God's kingdom and you're not. I'm like, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me. I kid you not. At the end of that conference, I went back and I started working with a different attitude. Lord, I might not have all that they have, but you've given me something in my hand. I'm going to reach as many students as I can. I'm going to invest my life. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to make a difference. And I worked and I worked and God started sending students and then people in the church started recognizing it. And I remember one time there was a guy by the name of Larry Jennings. He said, Benito, I see everything that you're doing. I want to give you this. And he gave me a $10,000 check so that we can start investing into the youth in our facility. And all of a sudden we bought lights and pool tables and we began to do amazing things. We would rent rock climbing walls. We had tigers and eagles and camels and monkeys as part of illustrations for messages. We filled up the place. We had BMX bikers and dirt bike riders. Lecrae would come. We would read hundreds of students. And it all started because, you know what? I stopped making excuses. I took up my talents and says, it's buried too long. God, you've given me something. I might not have everything that they have, but Lord, nobody starts off with 10 talents. You start off with what you have in your hand, and I'm going to use what I have for your glory and the reason that God has allowed me to I think plant a church is God began to teach that inside of me because I've had to make the decision over and over in this journey of planting Freedom Church not to make excuses but to invest my life I had to quit making excuses that we had no people when it was just me and Jennifer that we had no land that we didn't have enough money that we don't that no people the church, people don't want to come to church in the storefront and over and over, God has been faithful. God has taken us. I wouldn't make an excuse. We as the team didn't make an excuse. God blessed us as we went to the hotel. And he blessed us in 1100 San Bass Road. And God filled that place. And when this place got filled, we said, let's don't make excuses. We prayed that God would give us the Taekwondo place. And God filled it again. And God's moving it, moving all over again. And these places are full. And now after we said, God, we're not going to make excuses. We prayed. We asked God. And he's given us 11 acres in Round Rock, Texas, right off San Bass Road. God has been faithful as long as we don't make excuses. See, you can make excuses or you can make an investment in your life, but you cannot make both. I want to tell you a story as I close. A lady by the name of Martha Berry. It's a name that most of us have never heard. But although she isn't alive today, her legacy lives on. She was born shortly after the Civil War to wealthy parents. Barry began her career as an educator, teaching classes on Sunday to the poor children of Possum Trot, Georgia. Barry decided to start a school at Lavender Mountain for these children. The county agreed to hire two teachers for the new school. Poverty would ravage the area. 
Realizing that it wouldn't be enough, she paid for a third teacher by herself. She contributed her own time, her own money, supplementing the school's meager budget. The school immediately began to make a difference. There was an increase of students. There was encouragement. There was hope in that place. And in 1902, against the advice of her family and attorneys, she deeded the land that she owned to the boys' industrial school. It became known as Berry Schools. At this time, public schools in Georgia were not common. The student body began to grow. To meet the community's needs, expansion of money became essential, and she just didn't have enough. But you heard about a man by the name of Henry Ford who was an innovator of that time. He had invented the automobile and Ford Motor Company, and Ford was making endowments to worthy causes. So Martha Berry visited Henry Ford to raise money for Berry schools. Ford, tired of being a target for donations, reached into his pocket. He grabbed a dime, and he flung it onto his desk. He said, this is all the money I have in my pocket. Take it and leave. Martha Berry took the dime. She returned to Rome, Georgia, and she bought all the seeds that she could. A year later, she went back to Ford, and she showed the multimillionaire pictures of the gardens, the crops, and the trees she planted with the dime that she was given. Ford was so impressed that at that moment, on the spot, he gave her $25,000, which was an incredible, unheard of fortune in that day. And since that day, the Ford Foundation has given tens of millions of dollars to Berry College over the years. And it all started with a dime. One dime. Doesn't look significant. Doesn't look like it's much. But when we put our little in God's big old hands, He can do amazing things. Youth. It doesn't look like it's much, but if you would give your life to God, there could be cities that will be changed, nations that will be changed and transformed. But don't wait till then. God wants to change McNeil and Round Rock and Stony Point and your middle schools. God can do it, but don't bury what he's given you. For some of you, God has put a stirring in your heart. You can start a business that's going to fund multi-millions. God has shown me. That God is going to bring a blessing on the people here at Freedom Church. But if you would say, Lord, I, we, we wait. If then, when I, when I hit the lottery. But if you continue to use what you have now. Keep increasing your tithe right now. Keep increasing your giving even when you don't have it. If you would use the dime, he will pour out the windows of heaven. And he will do amazing things. But you got to say, God, here it is. God's giving you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.